Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mike Springston FFC Podcast, where we coach you in the Word. Today, we're going to uh, offer you part six of the message entitled Aborting the New Birth. And we want to welcome all of those of you from around the country and even around the world who have tuned into our podcast, who are studying the Word of God with us. We welcome you to contact us at springston56 at gmail.com, mikespringstonministries.com, ffcma.org, or through Family Fellowship Chapel's Facebook messaging. We look forward to having you contact us with a word of encouragement, a question, or whatever your need may be. And uh, we will certainly uh, uh, love to hear from you and do what we can to support, to help you. The biggest thing we do is teach and preach the Word of God. Put it out on Facebook, YouTube, Lift Him Higher Radio, and Mike Springston FFC Podcast so that you can have a tool to know the truth of the Word of God. So today we're going to move into part six. As I mentioned, we are going to pick up with Paul's writing from Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19. Before we do that, let's have a quick word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We ask that you'd open our eyes, that we could see our ears, that we could hear in our heart, that we could understand what the word of God is saying to us. And then may we apply it to our lives so that we can be changed into the image of your dear son. Now, Father, we ask that Jesus would speak out of the throne room of God, and the Holy Ghost would take it and reveal it to us. We give you our best attempt and effort to receive it and then to release it to your people. For all of that, we will give you praise and honor and glory in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. Paul, amen, Paul talking in Ephesians chapter 119, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Of course, we know that the working of his mighty power is what the Holy Spirit has done when he drew you to the word of truth. The word believe here, however, cannot be emphasized enough. When one believes, they accept the truth and are certain that what they accept is of absolute truth. So when we consider what Paul is saying, that there is a power that is so great that is providing to us and that it becomes the structure of what we believe. Now what is the belief system built upon? Is it built upon the mighty power that's working in us and to us? So what's been working to us and in us that's so great that goes beyond what we once knew? Of course, Paul tells us in verse 18 what that mighty great working exceeding power has done. Our eyes of understanding have been enlightened. We came out of darkness and into the light of the kingdom of the rulership, which is the dominion of Jesus Christ. We saw hope in him. We received a calling from him that was full of the riches of his glory. Now what would that be? It's the riches of his love, mercy, and grace 
These, my friend, are far greater than the old nature of sin and death. They're provided for us, and from it comes an inheritance. This inheritance works in us, a mighty work that develops and controls our inner man. From there it extends into the soul and ultimately brings the flesh under the direction of the work that has happened in the inner man and in the soul. It's a mighty work of which the Holy Spirit draws man into and provides the faith to allow the believer to grow in the glory of the Son. What you believe, my friend, is essential. All you have to do is look at our world today. People are believing all kinds of crazy things. How that belief system is operating in you will determine as far as the new birth is concerned, whether the new birth is established. If it is established appropriately, the new birth will flourish. If not, if it is not nurtured and protected, it will die in the inner man. Hence, your belief system will develop or abort the new birth that the Holy Spirit has made a living being in you. We receive now the greatness of his power. Most do not teach this, therefore few are exposed to this. And since there is little exposure, there is even less experience. The greatness of his power is the release of his ability in the Holy Spirit. From here Jesus Christ, the man in the Godhead bodily speaks. Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to us who believe. We are the ones who have developed our walk and our indwelling relationship with the Godhead. What is the relationship based upon? His workings, not ours. It's based upon his response to our faith. We believe, as we have described earlier, he takes the working of his mighty power and does a work in us that expresses the presence of his indwelling. He then walks with us as he did with Adam, Noah, Moses, Abraham, and all of those great men of God. Paul in, in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, speaks and he says that he becomes our God and we become his people. Verse 20 of Ephesians 1, when he wrought in Christ, when he, which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead, and sent him as his own right hand, sat him as his own right hand in heavenly places. From where did this experience generate? It has always been used and released as a promise of God to us. It is the same power, done by the same power, that he used to paralyze hell. It is the same power that he used to release Jesus Christ. It's the same power that brought Jesus out of the region of the damned. It's the same power that when Jesus Christ, our man in the Godhead, arrived and was seated at the right hand of God was, uh, and released that power into the apostles and the disciples and subsequently into the church. It's that same power that Paul concludes in Colossians chapter 2 that has made us complete in him. My friends, we have it all. If we could only walk by faith and not by sight, we would reap the gratification that comes from the Spirit. 
What is that, Pastor? Well, Jesus told us what it was in John 14. He told us precisely what would occur. He that hath my commands and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. We can have him. We can have Jesus Christ and all of his victories and all of his overcoming power to come to us and show himself to us. That means that he is present, apparent, and declaring his will and his intentions in our life. You will not receive this if you kill the work that has been birthed in you. You will be deceived into the sense of security of which the Bible does not teach. The security will direct the actions of your flesh to follow the wrong master. In the end, there will be a judgment that will not even call you past your past into question. There will be no need, my friend. You will simply be rejected by the words, I never knew you. But you say we prayed and were told and we believed. No, my friend, you repented. <coughs> Excuse me. You were convicted and convinced of your wrong, but you never went into the Lordship and gave Him to be Lord of your life. You never developed the inner man of the soul. You never brought the flesh under the control of the Spirit. Now, my friend, there is a vast gulf between repenting and confessing your error and making Him Lord. The response to never making Him Lord is, I never knew you. Why is Lordship so vital? Well, it's vital because it accomplishes the understanding of His complete work of victory and conquest over the spiritual world. It places man in a condition of servitude to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. In that economy, He is the king who has total dominion. As a member of His kingdom, we bow before Him to exalt His glorious name. In bowing, we bring everything that is associated with us that has a name and produce it in service to his dominion. Now consider that. Consider how our flesh would be focused to respond when and if we made Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, of course, sin would, have, uh, uh, would be of no control. My friend, that's great news. Sin would have a means to be controlled by us through the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Every organ of our body would come under the direction of the leadership of Jesus Christ because if it has a name, then by your bowing to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, everything that you bring bows as well. Look at this. Abraham brought cattle, family, and wealth. God made a covenant with him for future blessings in Genesis 22, in, in the book of Genesis. Then in Genesis 22, Abraham said, and Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself. God, the Lord, will provide. Jehovah Jireh. Here's what he said. The Lord himself will provide. Why? 
because he's made a covenant with me concerning to my seed. He will produce for me what I have committed to him. Now in our case, God has made a covenant with us. It's confirmed in the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and if you read Mark chapter 16, you'll see it there. Where Abraham brought out of his covenant Israel, we bring out of our covenant all of the things that have a name of which we bring under his lordship. All of the things that have a name, heart, lungs, liver, <laughs> joints, muscles, tissues, fiber, all of brain, all of those things that have a name, they are many, they are varied. They belong to us. And when we bow before him and make him Lord everything that we bow before him with becomes the tabernacle and the temple of God and his lordship reigns over every piece of it, over everything that has a name, whatever that name is. Glory to God. Whatever it is that has a name when I make him Lord it comes under his lordship. The exalted name of Jesus, where everything that has a name bows. So today, if you're operating under the lordship of Jesus Christ and you've got a problem somewhere in your body and you have made him lord, then what you have brought with you is under the covenant of lordship. Therefore, placing it under the lordship of Jesus Christ you can bow with it and pronounce the lordship of Jesus Christ over it. My God, truly, the Lord will provide. As our Lord, he is the one who forgives, preserves, delivers, makes safe, makes sound, and makes whole. How did he do this? Well, the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us, For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things. There is the lordship of Jesus Christ. In bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings, according to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10. So living under the Lordship of Jesus Christ is where the benefits of salvation are experienced. If we fail to be enlightened to this knowledge, we will struggle to grow the new birth. If we live in potential of aborting the new birth, because we have never been enlightened concerning what the plan of salvation and the captain of our salvation has done. Why is that? Because we live in a complete lack of understanding, knowledge, and enlightenment. What suffers? The development of the new birth. Without understanding, knowledge, and enlightenment, the new birth can become abandoned and will become abandoned and be left to die, aborting the new birth. Now there must be one addition to this statement made concerning these who are rejected because of their lack of understanding. Now, there was someone who taught them and preached to them a doctrine that in essence constituted another doctrine or another gospel. You also will be held to answer for those you led into misunderstanding and ultimately into a meeting with the lion of the tribe of Judah. To hear the words 
I never knew you. Being cast into outer darkness is the result either of unbelief, unrighteousness, unbelief and unrighteousness that came from a faulty gospel is as much unbelief and unrighteousness as if you had never heard. Hell, my friend, is a great price to pay for those who hear and live out an untruth. The preacher who teaches that untruth will also stand before that line of Judah. Yes, preacher, the rejection of truth includes you because you determined that a doctrine of DNA, a doctrine of once saved, always saved, regardless of how you live, a doctrine of eternal security, without correct responsibility, is the message of the gospel. You're the man or woman who is teaching another gospel. You are the shepherd, and you are responsible for the sheep, and you fall under the condemnation of teaching the message that deceived the masses. God entrusted you to seek him and produce his word under the direction of his indwelling spirit. He entrusted you with truth. You determined the minimal relationship of a prayer with no personal responsibility and said that was sufficient. You assumed that they would figure it out. You taught them that the Bible was all that was required and that no spiritual input had to come along in direct opposition to Jesus' own teaching in Luke chapter 4. Yes, you're responsible and you're accountable. There's coming a day when judgment will determine your right and wrong. I suggest you listen to my message this coming Sunday morning entitled The Marriage of the Word and the Spirit from Luke chapter 4. Well, we need to repent, my friends, and we need to teach truth. Investigate the Word of God. Be filled with the Spirit of promise. Let Him dwell in you and produce wisdom, revelation, and knowledge through your life. He, my friend, will walk with you. We need to correct the doctrines that are stealing truth from the people. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. We need to repent. We need to grow in grace. We need to pursue truth. As you're going to see, we need to make sure that our calling and election is sure. Now, someone said to me, Preacher, what if you were wrong? And what if I am right about the doctrine that I teach? What if the message that is preached that espouses the belief system that you say, according to your study of the Word of God, is wrong, but we are actually correct? I want you to hear this very clearly, my friend. Because if my message of personal responsibility and accountability that leads to being in Christ is wrong, and if my message of separation from the world and living in the light of his love through holiness is wrong, and you live that way, and the message that I've taught you of self-sacrifice, of living in the life of the fruit of the Spirit, if coming into the knowledge of the marriage of the Word and the Spirit that causes men to have uh, the bigger spirit broken, to have their brokenness fixed, 
to have their bruising ministered to, to have their blindness healed, and to no longer be bound to the captivity of the sin of this world. If my message is true, that tells one that in Christ Jesus we can locate the love of God and live in holiness and righteousness, absolutely living in the knowledge of his advocacy, his mediatorship, and his intercession in the Godhead, where will you stand then? One of these days, be assured, you're going to stand before Almighty God. 2 Timothy 1.12 stands fast on that account. For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know what I have believed, when I have set my belief system appropriately. When I have lived my life under the, dis- the discipline of subjecting my flesh to make it do what I see in the word of God. When I believed, I am persuaded, Paul said to Timothy, that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. What he's saying is he will have no worry concerning the possibility of ever having to stand in the face of the judgment of sin. When he is judged after the resurrection, he will stand to be judged in that day at the judgment seat of Christ. That judgment seat is called the Bema seat. Comes to us from 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to he hath done, whether it be good or bad. He will receive the reward for our life spent cultivating and growing our relationship with Jesus Christ, pursuing and seeking the love of God, pursuing and seeking the character of God, holiness and righteousness. Look at the scripture. Now, this is referring to those who are accepted of him. The word judgment in the Greek means bema. It's the victorious Christ who will be the one doing the judging. He will provide the crowns that are given for the work that has been done in the body. There'll be a crown of rejoicing for the soul winner, according to 1 Thessalonians 2.19. An incorruptible crown for the winner of life's race, according to 1 Corinthians 9.25-27. A crown of righteousness for those who love his appearing, according to 2 Timothy 4.8. A crown of glory for the faithful shepherd or elder in God's assembly or church, according to 1 Peter 5.4. The crown of life for those that endure temptation. Some unto death, according to Revelations 2.10 and James 1.2. Some will lose their crowns, but still be accepted. Why? Because they did not do the things that would be worthy of recognition. Now notice in this process there has been growth, development, and nurturing of the seed that was planted in them. How do I know this? Because there was both good and bad. What the man who functions from the intention of living life from the perspective of holiness and righteousness has done is, he, is reflected in 2 Peter 1, 10 and 11. 
Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fail. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly under the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So what was to be done, according to Peter, to ensure entrance? Look at the chapter. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for them that obtain like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us under glory and virtue, whereby given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be takers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, and beside this giving all diligence and to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if I am wrong, we have won the crown that is incorruptible for being disciplined and running our race to the glory of God. That, of course, means that we have made our calling and election sure and have been accepted by our Lord. But if you are inaccurate in your thinking, in your doctrine, in your message, the outcome, my friend, holds far greater consequences and repercussions. You are not accepted. The life lived in the body held nothing to which the Savior could see as being done in him. Righteousness and holiness of the believer and living. Righteous living is not apparent. Hence, the awful words, I never knew you. Those that come in that vein face the white throne judgment identified in Revelation 20, 11 through 15, where the Bible said in verse 12, they would be judged according to their works. In verse 13, they would be judged every man according to their works. In verse 14, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, and this is the second death. In verse 15, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. There is a severe consequence for believing a lie. Now the scripture declares it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 10 and through 12 and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of truth that they might be saved. For this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Now watch, verse 12, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So the outcome is one of dire consequences for unrighteousness and unbelief. What went wrong? They didn't receive the love of truth. They neither received the love of God nor the truth concerning him. Therefore, they were not saved. They were told they were. They might have even believed they were. They were absolutely made to think that they were, and therefore they built their belief system on their instruction. But my friend, they lived under a delusion. It was a fraudulent message to which the belief system was associated. Paul called it a lie. 
my people perish for lack of knowledge. What they, uh, what do they lack from knowledge? Well, it's truth. What was the reason truth was not believed? Here it is, friend. Because the pleasure of unrighteousness was enticing to their own need for self-satisfaction. Unrighteousness and self-satisfaction meant more to them than truth. Hence, the work that began in them was aborted due to seeking of life, of inclusion, pleasure, and self-satisfaction. From there, even though repentance occurred, they saw their error. They aborted the new birth. They aborted the new birth by choosing the pleasures of this life and delusional living, which became a lie. My friend, the new birth is a great gift, but it can be aborted if you do not grow it, live in it, find the love of God, pursue a life of holiness and righteousness. So if I am wrong and we discipline ourselves, we find eternal life. If you are wrong and you live an undisciplined, uncaring, unconcerned life full of the hall pass that we call grace, you stand to risk eternal judgment and the loss of a life in eternity where there is no more sickness, no more pain, no more death, where we worship the Lamb who is worthy. You risk the loss of that. My friend, there is nothing in this world that is worth that risk. There is nothing in this life that is worth spinning the wheel and seeing where the spokes stop it. Nothing in this life is worth the life that is lived in Christ Jesus. I challenge you today, I challenge you today to come into the life in Christ Jesus. Cherish it, nurture it, take care of it, grow in it. Prepare yourself spiritually to be prepared for the day when the trump sounds and the dead in Christ rise, that you rise to the judgment seat of Christ and receive the benefit of everlasting life. Because the alternative is the aborting of the new birth. Father, bless your word today. Minister to those that hear. Give us grace. Give us peace. May the Holy Ghost draw us and give us insight. Develop our inner man and our soul so that we can live life disciplined and that our flesh comes under the control of the Spirit of God. I praise you for it, worship you for it, bless you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ, our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. Well, my friend, that's the six parts of aborting the new birth. We'd love to hear from you. I've given you those means to do so. I thank you for listening. 
and I bless you. Jesus is Lord. Find him in Lord. Bring yourself to him as Lord. Bow everything that you have before him as Lord. And there you will find the connection that will cause life to begin to flourish in a new kingdom that is steeped, filled with light and the illumination of his presence. God bless you until we speak again.